what is up guys it is the blue bloods here back with another interview and we're headed back to fam you y'all see the hoodie i don't pull it out for just any reason and i got my guy jay jackson williams offensive lineman for fam you gearing up for the 2022 nfl draft an all american in the swack this year part of an offensive line that allowed the least amount of sacks in the swack this year paved the way for one of the swacks leading rushers and bishop bonnet and so man jay appreciate you coming on the show thank you for having me i appreciate it and so let's go way back, man. I know I know you're headed to the draft now, but looking back on, you know, coming out of high school and the high school recruiting process, what was that like for you? And which teams were recruiting you the hardest as you were coming out of high school? Um, I would say, you know, I honestly, I really didn't get much exposure out of high school. I went to a small school. You know, I was also really small as a defensive end. I was probably about 6'2", 230. And so I got a lot of my exposures from camp. So, you know, I, my senior year before it started, you know, I visited um, San Diego State, UNLV, and did some workouts with, like, Colorado Boulder. So I, thought, so I was a Mountain West Pac-12 type of kid, you know. And um, my recruitment actually got derailed. My homecoming game, I ended up tearing my meniscus. And so a lot of the schools stopped talking to me and stuff like that. And so um, I picked up a few D2 offers. I know I went to visit uh, Western Oregon. And San Diego State came back and offered me preferred walk-on because I got a camp MVP at one their um, summer camp. And so coming down to it, I had to choose between Western Oregon walking on to San Diego State and Wyoming, who also came back and you know talked to me a little bit about coming there. And so ultimately, I decided to go to San Diego State as a defensive end because they asked me to choose what I wanted to play because I was also a tight end. But um and definitely high school was like really tough. You know, I would say junior college is when I got most of the exposure and more of the offers when I changed positions and actually grew. And so that's where I really feel like that picked up for me, you know. Right. And, you know, you head to the you, you take the Juco route eventually. And so looking at that, you know, last chance you really shined a light on some of the struggles that Juco kids have to face while trying to earn that next opportunity. Looking back at your time in Juco, what were some of the biggest challenges or things you had to adjust to at the Juco level? Um, you know, it's funny you talk about last chance you, you know, um, it's weird because I've never watched the episode because I've told my friends like, I lived it. So I don't want to re-experience that. But, you know, I, I described Juco as I wouldn't want to worst, wish, wish it on my worst enemy. But at the same time, it was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. You know, it it really is on you. You know, there's not someone there to call you to make sure you show up to class, show up to workouts. No one, no academic advisor to make sure you're on pace to graduate. You know, there's in California, there's no scholarships. If you're in-state, you get a tuition paid for. But... Other than that, like you're really on your own. Like you gotta work a job, figure it out, see if your parents will support you. And my biggest challenge, you know, you you had to grow up, you know, and I felt like that changed my life, you know, just realizing that look, if I don't do it or want it for me, no one else is. So, you know, you had to make sure you were on time for everything, make sure that you were eating, make sure that you were studying and doing what you needed to do, and at the same time live. You know, you have to figure out what to do. You know, some days. I went maybe six, seven days with maybe um, $2 in my bank account and just trying to get through it and get by it. And talking to some of my friends where we're not even in junior college anymore, you know, the biggest thing we all said to each other was we never thought it would end, you know, and, and it, 
it's a mental thing. You know, that's, that was that was the biggest challenge. It was just like you have to want it for you. You have to do it for yourself. Because if not, no one's going to want it for you. Right. And I mean, it paid off for you coming out. You were a top 10 Juco offensive tackle in the country. You eventually find your way to Florida State, man. So for you, looking back, what played into that decision and what factors led you to commit to Florida State? I would say my biggest thing when I decided to sign up Florida State was growth. You know, I, I wanted to move away. You know, unfortunately, I didn't have any offers on the West Coast. You know, I talked to USC a little bit, but unfortunately, things didn't work out. And so um, at the end of the day, you know, I took three visits. I went to Texas, Florida State, Indiana. You know, um, Oklahoma came late, thought about taking a mid midweek visit. Um, UCF came around. But then... When I took those three visits, you know, the first thing I looked for was a home away from home and a place that I felt like I can grow, you know, not just as a football player, but as a man and as an adult. And, you know, they were nice places. You know, obviously Austin, Texas, University of Texas and the facilities and just the city of Austin and, you know, Bloomington, Indiana and its rich history and everything that goes on there. But, you know, it was just something about the city of Tallahassee that just, you know, I was talking to my parents. I was there. I got there Thursday night and. Around 1 p.m., you know, that next day, it was just kind of like, you know, I just feel like I belong, you know, just looking around just the forest and everything, the college town and stuff like that. You know, it was a totally different environment and something I've never experienced before. And then from there, you know, just seeing, you know, Florida State and the rich history of that and this type of situation that Willie Taggart was in in 2019 when which they needed offensive linemen. And so I jumped the gun and decided to, you know, hey, I'm coming. You know, and so I do is more than just football for me, you know, obviously, you know, it's to make it to the next level at the same time, you know, it felt like it was the best place for me to grow as an individual. Yeah. And I mean, you decide to transfer um, one last time. And so kind of talk about what were the biggest differences between high school and transfer portal recruiting? And also you can kind of go into some of the decision, the decision making behind wanting to transfer out of Florida State as well. OK, of course. Um, So. I'm going to start with high school and I'm going to junior college and then I'm going to transfer portal. So high school, you know, I feel like it's more like hype, you know, who you can get to watch your film. And, you know, most college scouts, you know, they go to obviously the same places to find certain players. You know, me being a small school guy, unless I'm out there dominating, getting 30 sacks, you know, doing so I thought, you know, I'm not going to get recognized or noticed. And so, you know, I had to use recruiting platforms, um, NCSA recruiting stuff like that just to get noticed I had to go to camps and stuff like that whereas when i was in junior college you know it was like a, a domino effect you know i started out with a few d2 offers and i remember one d2 offered me and then 30 minutes later another one's like okay i'm gonna offer you and then like it was just popping up popping up popping it up and then finally got my first division one offer from mississippi valley state and then next thing i know here comes alabama a&m here comes all these other schools that i got offered by and then my first Big Ten, my first Power Five offer, I believe, was from the Big Ten. I believe it was Indiana. And then I got an SEC offer from Mizzou, you know, and it just, they just kept coming in and coming in. And so it would be more of, you know, a junior college, when are you graduating, when are you getting a degree, you know, we have a need, we need this, we need that. Whereas high school, it was about, you know, what can we turn this guy into in five to four years? And so now looking at the transfer portal, you know, because you're further in, I was a grad transfer, had one more year of eligibility. It came down to, okay, well, when I, before I jumped into the portal, you know, talking to my dad about it, I was like, okay, well, 
because some some of the coaches, you know, my dad was still new a little bit and stuff like that. I was like, okay, well, I need to make sure that if I go into the portal, people will take me. You know, that's what I feel like right now is an issue right now. Guys in the transfer portal right now, they think that they just jump in and somebody will grab them. But you need to do your research for you look. You know, you need to see if schools that, that turned you down when you were in high school, junior college, you know, are still looking for you, you know, and stuff like that. And so when I jumped in the transfer portal, you know, once my name popped up, you know, automatically a whole bunch of schools started following me, reaching out and stuff like that. But in my decision to leave Florida State, you know, just – the situation with Willie Tiger, you know, I came in, you know, they fired my O-line coach that recruited me, Greg Fry, a month after I got there. You know, Randy Clemens comes in, which is fine. You know, he really taught me and, under- and gave me the understanding of being an offensive lineman. You know, taught me everything I really know to this day. And so, you know, having him gone as well, you know, they're bringing a new staff. And, you know, working with Coach Atkins, you know, I actually loved it. You know, he he taught you football like coach. And so how he learned it was how he taught it to you. But, you know, when the season got closer with COVID going on and stuff like that, and I didn't really feel like it was the right fit for me and, and with what I had going on. And so I decided to step back, you know, and really evaluate my stuff like that. And I decided to start coaching at a high school nearby. And then I jumped in the transfer portal. And as I said, like I talked to my dad about what was going on, school started hitting me up. And where I decided to go to FAMU was, I would say, is right across the street, you know, they had everything that they had looking for me and stuff like that. So I feel like it was a great fit, you know. Yeah, and I mean, listen, it paid off in a big way. And this season was a big year for FAMU. A lot of record-setting or notable events that happened for you guys. But looking back on your final year, man, what were some of your fi- what, were, what were some of your takeaways from the 2021 season as a whole? Personally, for well, to start for myself, I really feel like the 2021 season was the best season of my career. You know, I like I was getting into it a little bit ago, you know, when I hit the transfer portal. The funny thing was I never reached out, like got reached out by family. What happened was I was working at a security at a nightclub as a security guard and guys that play at FAMU were there and they saw me and they're like, hey, aren't you that Florida State guy in the transfer portal? And I was like, yeah, like, you know, I'm just working right now. I'm like, hey, man, I want to come to FAMU. And I was just like, look, you know, you guys offer me, I'm coming so I'm actually visiting a D2 a few hours away and taught Alabama A&M and a bunch of other um, SWAC schools and some other power fives. And O-line coach at the time calls me and he's like, hey, you know, I heard you want to come. And I was like, well, I mean, you guys going to offer me? He's like, yeah, I was like, all right, well, I'm coming. And so that was really how it went, you know, and I talked to Coach Black, Coach Simmons, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, just I really didn't know what I was getting myself into at first. You know, I did my research and looked at the this, this team and just what they had already. The talent was there and it was amazing. And these guys, you know, what I just wanted to get into really quick, you know, when you talk about HBCU football, the power five, the FCS level, you know, I really don't feel like there's a drop off at all. You know, when I got there, you just see a room full of guys that are hungry, you know, and that showed obviously because what we did this season, you know, these guys were guys that could be playing at the power five level, you know, but apparently they were too small. They were not big enough. They were fast enough. They weren't this or they weren't that. But when you go out there and you practice with these guys and you play with these guys, you know, looking at a guy who came from the power five level, I'm like, these guys could be over here doing the same thing that they're doing. And so once the season started, you know, it was just amazing how just everybody just bought in and we just went to work. You know, we had a slow start, you know, unfortunately we dropped that game to to, um, Jackson State. And then from there on, you know, we had to figure it out. You know, Coach Simmons said at the end of the day, it's going to be about if you guys buy in or not. And we bought in. 
you know, we did what we were told, you know, we showed up, we didn't make excuses, we just worked. And the biggest thing Coach Simmons says is you will get what you deserve. And, you know, I, I feel good about a 9-3 record in the first year in the SWAC, you know. And it was a great season. You know, we had a lot of memories, you know, and, and the adversity that we faced, you know, when we went to Alabama A&M, food wasn't cooked. Uh, we were almost late. The train was in the train in a way, you know, we got down 18 points in the third quarter, you know. There wasn't much whining or complaining or anything like that. You know, it was just kind of like, all right, well, let's get to work. You know, to come back in that game with the last two minutes and stuff like that. And it was just so much that happened that season. I just made it one of the best seasons of my life. And, you know, if I could do it again, I would. You know, I love <laughs> you. It was great. You know, I, I, sometimes I miss the guys. You know, I actually went up to the spring practice on a Saturday just to watch, you know, just reminisce and stuff like that. And FAMU would definitely be one of the most biggest – I'm sorry, the biggest decision I've made in my entire career. Oh, man, I I love it. And yeah, you mentioned that Alabama A&M game, man. That was really the turning point, man. You guys just went on a roll after that first half and w- just could not be touched. And, you know, you also were the first SWAC team to make the playoffs since the 1990s. I believe it was 97 where I was one year old the last time a SWAC team made the playoffs. How much did that mean to you and this FAMU program? I mean, it meant everything. I don't know if you guys saw us in that um, room in, in Orlando at the um, law school, but just to be given an opportunity to play in another game because, unfortunately, we didn't make it to the SWAC championship, you know, and to put on just not for just our school, but for the entire SWAC conference, you know, just to represent and, you know, to do our best. You know, unfortunately, it didn't go the way that we wanted. But, you know, that meant that meant a lot, you know, to be the first SWAC school. You know, I know the MIAC has been there recently with North Carolina A&T, but, you know, to go out there, you know, and just give it opportunity to give it our best, you know, and stuff like that. But just because it's the first team in a while does not mean that it'll be the last in a while. You know, I definitely believe that these guys in that locker room today, you know, that's coming in the future that Coach Simmons brings in, you know, they're going to do what they got to do and they're going to get back, not just to the SWAT championship, but also get to that playoff level again. Oh, man, I love it. And I know, you know, this was your last season, you know, playing college football. If you could have one game from this season back to play one more time, which game would you pick? Man, you know what? I need week zero back. I definitely would, I would need to run that back. You know, if we did a lot. That was probably the most trash talking I ever did. But I love those guys over there in Mississippi. You know, I played with some of those guys that they transferred from Florida State. You know, Isaiah Bolden, you know, pump returner and stuff like that. But, you know, that I, I need that game back. <laughs> you know, any other game, you know, it's whatever. You know, playoff game, cool. But homecoming was fun. But that one loss by that one point, that just – I need I need that back. <laughs> <laughs> that That's also – we had Gentle Hunt on the show, and that's what he said too. He said, it, I, I'll play that game if they want to play it right now. He was like, we got to run yeah. it back. Like right this second. They called and said, yo, like they want to run back the Orange Blossom Classic. Like I'm I'm stopping what I'm doing. I'll, I'll meet y'all in Orlando. <laughs> Man, I love the energy. And you know, you mentioned you've mentioned him before, and I had the honor to talk to him at the HBC Legacy Bowl when I was there. And you got to play under Coach Willie Simmons one last time at the HBC Legacy Bowl. Coach KJ Black was there as well. But what is Coach Willie Simmons like behind the scenes, and what did it mean to play play under him one last time at the Legacy Bowl? You know, it's kind of funny because sometimes, you know, when we're stretch lines, you know, Coach Simmons kind of he stands by, like, me and Keenan Forbes in the front, and, like, sometimes I like to laugh and joke around with him and stuff like that. And, um, 
you know, I, I would say, you know, Coach Simmons has been probably one of the, the best head coaches I've ever had, just not from a coaching standpoint, just best fit for me. You know, he's not one of those guys that's going to be hooping and hollering, yelling and screaming to get his point across. You know, all he has to do is to really say it once, you know. Just thinking about it today, I actually stopped by and said what's up to him really quick. You know, I, I think about it. I was like, how many times did Coach Simmons yell at me? I really feel like he only yelled at me once. He only said, like, two words, you know. And, you know, just hanging out, you know, he it was funny because um, all the seats were taken in the bus at the Legacy Bowl for, like, two of the rides. So he rode back there with us. And, you know, he's really, you know, cool, calm and stuff like that. And you can laugh and talk. You know, his door is always open, you know. You want to make jokes at him, he's going to make jokes at you back, you know. I know you guys always see the the Twitter pictures. He always got his feet up on somewhere showing off his boots. <laughs> You know, like he did today. I didn't want to say nothing about it because he's busy. But you know, um, you know, Coach Simmons. You know, like I said, you know, just you can see it from just how the teams have since he's got the fam. You, you know, it's just everybody just buys in and believes in him. You know, you know, and he and you can tell that he cares and he has your back, just like we have his. You know, and so like I said, I have the most respect for Coach Simmons, Coach Black, Coach Danchek, who no, he's no longer there anymore. You know, those three guys right there. You know, I wouldn't be the top player I am today if it wasn't for them. And Coach oh, Simmons man. gave me the opportunity that I needed to prove that I could go to the next level. And I'm forever grateful to him for that. Oh, there's a reason that he is one of the one of the most successful coaches at the FCS level, man. And I, I'm kind of I'm glad you spoke on that. But to get to the Legacy Bowl, man, there was a there a lot of great play, man. It was awesome watching y'all practice. I always was following the O line and D line, man. I had to see those one on ones all week long. But what was some of the feedback from the scouts that you had at the Legacy Bowl, man? What was the feedback that you were getting? I'm just hearing back, you know, they all, you know, they all said the same things. You know, this wasn't the first bowl game that I played in. I was also at the Tropical Bowl. And, you know, it's just about, you know, they say I have great feet work, you know, athleticism, versatility. You know, being that I've only played as of after the Legacy Bowl 14 games of offensive line, you know, there's so much upside and so much growth that I can still have when I'm currently ascending. I'm getting better, you know, as it goes. And so like that, and they say that, you know, that's an advantage I have over other players. You know, where a lot of these guys have been playing in the SEC for four years, ACC, whatever conference, and they've had 30, 40 games, and they're just showing the same thing. Whereas when you watch my film, I get better every week. And so, you know, just seeing the footwork and the technique and everything, you know, you know, I need to work on certain things like with my outside hands and stuff like that. And other than that, you know, it's just, you know, the same things, you know, just – making sure I get these done right. And so that's when I get to the next level and prepare myself to be able to play at my best. Man, I, that's great to hear, man. I know, and I know it was a big thing to have all those scouts out there too. I was really impressed with the scout uh, turnout at the HBC Legacy Bowl too for the first ever uh, inaugural HBC Legacy Bowl. And you know, I, as a former O-lineman, I always love having O-lineman on the show because so I speak about how how important chemistry is, and people who haven't played O-line don't understand how important chemistry is, and having that just relationship with the other four guys that are with you on that offensive line. When you look back to this year's FAMU team, how important is was chemistry along the offensive line and how much did that play a part in you guys being arguably the best offensive line in the SWAC? I mean, well, you, you got to put it like this. You know, I feel like offensive line is the hardest position to play only because five people got to be on the same page. You know, we all got from left to right. We all got to know what we're doing, which way we're sliding, who we're blocking, who are we leaving, who's the free man you know, and stuff like that. And just with chemistry and just, you know, hanging around and being around each other, you know, 
I feel like this is one of the closest groups I'd ever played with. And, you know, they rotated a bunch of guys in at guard and stuff like that. And we had some injuries, but no matter what happened, as you said, you know, we led the conference in sacks allowed. We had the fewest. And and we think we're top 15 in the, FC, in the FCS. You know, we all, we led the SWAC in rushing, which if you look back at 2019, we were a past first team with Ryan Stanley, you know, rushing yards, maybe averaged maybe like 80, 90 yards a game rushing. Where now we had Bishop Bonnet, who almost had 1,000 yards rushing. You know, we, we totaled maybe 16, 1,700 yards rushing on the season total. And, you know, that's not only just a testament to the five to, to eight guys that played this season routinely, but also the coach Danchek. You know, he got a group of guys together that, you know, were all recruited by different guys. Coach Jackson, Coach Konakis, you know, and now him, you know, you got a room of 18 guys. You found five to eight, and, you know, you know, got us. We meshed together, we connected, and we got through it. You know, we played through it. You know, we played not for each other, not just for each other, but we also played for him. We played for everything that we have going on. And it's just a testament, not just to him, but to us as well, the hard work that we put in. And so that chemistry was important, you know, because at the end of the day, like a lot of people, you know, they're trying to be friends with their teammates. You know, some people, they, they don't like each other, this, this, and that. But at the end of the day, that's your brother. That's a man that he don't eat unless you eat. So when you don't do your job, he don't eat. And so at the end of the day, we got to have each other's back and look out for each other, you know. And I feel like that's what we had in that room, you know. We all could laugh, play around and stuff like that. You know, sometimes, you know, I could say for myself, you know, I got a little upset at things and stuff like that. And I would take the time to myself a little bit. But, like, you know, that's how everything is with guys and stuff. But that room, you know, probably one of the funniest, you know, greatest experiences I ever had. And I miss the guys. You know, I'm still in the group chat with them. You know, I'll say things every so often and stuff like that. You know, I still check on them and call them and stuff like that and make sure they're good, especially the freshmen. You know, I used to try to you know, help out one or two of them and make sure I gave them a rise of workouts and stuff like that. And so definitely this O-line room is is a group that, you know, it's not just a one-year thing. You know, a lot of these guys I'm going to be talking to and, and having in my life. Oh, man, I, I love it. And I, it can't come any better from an O-lineman himself. So I always like to throw that question is when I, when I have offensive linemen on the show. But you're headed to the NFL now, man. And a lot of people like to make player comparisons. And I, and I think the player himself is the best one to give the comparison. So when you're looking at your game, which NFL player do you think you model your game after the most? Um, I would I would always say like when it comes to tackle play, I, I watch a lot of guys. You know, I watch Trent Williams. I watch Nate when um. Nate sold with the Patriots. I watched him a lot. You know, Sebastian Vollmer when he was in the league. But I would say the guy that I watched the most, I would say, is Tyron Smith. You know, we're both from Reno Valley, California. He played at University of Southern California. He went to Rancho Verde High School, which is five minutes from my house. And, you know, just seeing how well he's been playing the position for so long and just how technically sound he is, you know, how he kicks consistently, his pass sets and stuff like that. You know, I try to model that and stuff like that. And, seeing how he uses his hands and stuff like that, especially in the past game, you know, it's something that I always try to look at. But when it comes to offensive line, because there's so many guys in the league, you know, you try to pick up everything from everybody. You know, I, you know, Quentin Nelson is really aggressive. You know, you try to pick up on some things he's been doing, you know, and you look at guys, like I said earlier, Trent Williams, you know, no makes sense that he can line up a tight end motion across and come back across and, and clear out an entire half of the field, you know. And, you know, like I said, um, a big guy that I watched when I started playing offensive line was Sebastian Vollmer for the New England Patriots. You know, he was there for a few years and just seeing how he did things and Trent Brown and Trey Williams and stuff like that. And some of these guys, you know, you just, you know, when you watch certain games, you know, you, for me personally, when I watch NFL games, like 
it's cool. All right, watch the quarterback, this, this, and that. But, like, I always like to watch the tackles and see what they're doing and stuff like that. Um, I, I'm glad you gave Trent Williams a shout-out. I know he gets a little bit of respect, but I don't think people realize, like, what a generational talent he really is on the offensive line. Like you said, to come in motion – and clear out like the entire side of the field is just next level. I don't even think that's a bit fair, but I'm all for it. You know? <laughs> you know, when I saw him, I was like, he's not. He, he had a full steam ahead. You know, it might might have been a legal shift because he kind of got a head start line of scrimmage, but but it was just a beautiful thing to watch. I'm like, man, I wish I could do that. <laughs> they're I'm, gonna I, have the they're gonna have the Trent Williams rule very very soon if he keeps doing that. Yeah, I definitely. If it happened during the season, I might have asked my coach if I could have a chance to do that. We probably would have told me no. But <laughs> listen, if Coach Willie Simmons, if you're watching, we need some offensive tackle motions next year. That's that's what we're looking for. But, you know, when I was playing, man, I'm very superstitious. My pregame routine had to be on point every single game. But for you, what is your pregame routine on game days? Um, Let's see. You know, I, I kind of keep it the same, too. I kind of listen to the same songs. You know, I've listened to the same songs in high school. And, you know, I kind of do the same thing where, like, I go straight into the locker room. I sit down, you know, make sure everything's all situated. You know, I have my headphones in. I'll go get tape, stuff like that. And then, you know, I just get dressed and I'll go outside, do a couple steps, do a couple kicks, you know. Coach Dante really didn't want us to go outside and wear ourselves out because our warm-up is long in general anyways. And so, you know, I definitely walk the field. You know, I'm glad I did some games like Mississippi Valley, you know, I stepped in a few potholes. But, um, <laughs> you know, I just – the same thing, you know, it wasn't really like something special, you know, I always did the same things, just walk the field, got stretched, stuff like that, you know, make sure everything was taped, put together, put my, when I started having elbow pain, I put my little elbow sleeves on and stuff like that, and I would say it was more of the songs, I was more of a routine than anything else. Oh yeah, you gotta have that. Yeah, I had to have that right playlist. I had them all in order. I had to listen to the, the certain songs in certain orders. I, I feel you on that one. But man, I, I saw the offensive line and D line at, at the Legacy Bowl. There was a little bit of trash talking going on, even in one on ones, all the way back from Tuesday, man. So for you, are you a big trash talker during the game? I wouldn't call myself a trash talker. I would just say I like to conversate. That's how I like. Okay. It. I like to I like to talk. You know, we gotta hit each other about sixty to seventy times. Like, why can't we just you know be cool for a little bit, like four or five seconds? You know, <laughs> you know some some guys are for it. You know, some guys aren't. You know, I I, I like to watch uh, Chad Ochocinco. He always tried to talk to other people when he got to the Ravens. You know, there's some guys that would let them talk to the guys on the other side of the field. But you know, it's all funny games. You know, I might say something, but like, I don't, I don't. Not to the game, I don't mean it. You know, I'm a, I'm a nice guy. I try my best. You know, but like. I just feel like, you know, sometimes you got to have fun, you know, especially in a lot of games we're blowing guys out. And so, you know, like, you always know, some guys start talking trash, and, you know, you kind of point them to the scoreboard, you know. I feel like that's the most trash I'm going to do. Most of the time we conversate, and I'm like, come on, man, like, why you do that? You know, this is not um, – remember there was, there was a moment at uh, Mississippi Valley State, we scored a touchdown, and this big guy did like kind of like a spin move on me, but he didn't go anywhere. He kind of spun in place, and, like, I kind of laughed, and, like, in the play, and he's like, what? And I was like <laughs> – and I kind of looked at him. I was like, big guy, don't do that ever again. You know, so oh, it was, no. it was trash talk, but it was more just like, I like to conversate, you know, just have a little fun. Like, you know, we can talk sometimes. You know, I know we're, we're enemies. We're trying to, you know, get to this money, get to the next level, you know, stuff like that. But we're still human. So why can't we just, you know, just talk a little bit? That's how I feel about it. That, that might be more demoralizing than you trash talking me. If I try to spin move on you and you just laugh at me, just that was like your first instinct. That, 
that, that one has to sting, man. I'm not going to lie to you. But kind of a follow-up there. So you can give me one from another team you played, and I kind of feel like I know the answer on your own team. So you can give me both. But who's the biggest trash talker you've had to go against? Go against? Uh, I'm trying to think. It had to be a guy from Bethune-Cookman, the defensive end number 44. It had to be him. You know, but it's cool. Like after after um that that one like that um thirteen plays, not thirteen. I would say it was like eleven plays in the third quarter, the last two minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, we scored three touchdowns. You know, in the fourth quarter, you know, we, we started we were conversating a little bit. We got to finally. I wanted to conversate, and you know, he was talking <laughs> trash. You know, he was saying this, saying that. Oh, you can't block me. This, this, and that. And it came to a point. You know, I think uh, K dot had caught like a thirty yard pass down the field and. In the middle of the play, I grabbed him. And I just drug, just drug him to the floor, and I laid on top of him. And I kind of just told him, "I like, look, I haven't said anything to you, but I really could be doing this to you right the entire game. <laughs> I'm talking to you now, but you need to stop talking." And I got up. He got up. He didn't say a word to me about it. But you know, we, oh, we, we cool. You know, um, fun fact: he actually did. Um, I didn't catch it, but apparently, he slapped me during the game while I was blocking him, and I didn't see it until. The next day when they showed the film and my coach was like, why do you let him hit you like that? And I was like, what do you mean? And I was like, I thought we was cool, man. Like, why do you do that? <laughs> but, you know, I would say out of every guy that I played, second had to be um, Christian Clark from Alabama State. You know, the big nose oh. tackle. You know, I don't think he was a trash. He was just the same way. He just wanted to conversate. You know, it's kind of funny because, like, I played him in 2019 when I was at Florida State. And I just tried to, like I said, conversate. So... I'm walking past him. I'm like, hey man, don't I know you? And he was just like, where? And I was like, you played at uh you played at Florida State 22. He's like, you went out there. I was like, I mean, I was, but <laughs> I was like, you got a point. I didn't play that much that game, but you know, I'm like, come on, man. Oh man, I I love it. And and you know, kind of building off of that, what is the number one mistake a defensive lineman can make against you? That's tough. Um, I would say something that I caught on to towards the end of the season was um, on outside zones when I caught on to what usually a lot of teams are traditional with being stout and stuff like that with um, their gaps. But a lot of times in the sweat, you know, if you go out there to block them, they're going to try to jump inside. And I felt like the biggest mistake that came to be was trying to trick me, like go out, like trying to maneuver and stuff like that, you know. And I started to get really good at that where, for example, it was third and nine in the um, Florida Classic and they overloaded the opposite side, the side to the back. And so we checked it the outside zone my way. The only person out there was my man in the corner. And so I was like, okay, if I step as hard as I can out here, he's going to try to go inside. And so I did it and he did it and I just had him. Bishop ran for about 20 yards down the field. And so I would say, you know, that would probably be like the one thing, you know, trying to trick me or like, you know, I, I'm a guy that I watch film more than I watch TV. And so, you know, if you try to pick up certain things on me and stuff like that, like it typically doesn't work because I usually switch things up based on the type of guy I'm playing. And another mistake I would say is something I actually learned while I was at the Legacy Ball, talking to a guy I played during the season. And he was like, dude, like you're really patient. And I was like, yeah, because – one thing defense alignment are taught when you watch, when you watch defense alignment do drills and you watch their coach, when they shoot the thing for them to hit their hands, it's always set, set, punch, set, set, punch. 
So they're taught that an offensive lineman after their second kick is supposed to punch. Okay, well, if we both know that, why am I going to give you my hands after the second kick? So that was my point. And I always told the guys, I told him when we were at the Legacy Ball, I'm like, okay, well, you're taught set, set, punch. Okay, so that's fine. So when you watch a lot of film, you know, a lot of guys are sw- they're, they're clubbing and swimming and chopping that air. You know, my hands are still here, you know. And they're just like, man, like, I'm thinking you're doing this or that. I'm like, well, you know, I'm not just going to jump the gun and come at you, you know. Like, you know, I, I feel like offensive line pass pro, it, it's it's aggressive. But at the same time, it's, a, it's in a fight. But it's also like a chess game. You know, it's like who's going to make the first move until you decide to just bull rush me because I didn't make one yet. Oh, I, I like – listen, that that was – by far the best answer I've ever had on that one. I, 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 it could be the offensive lineman in me, but the fact that you recognize that over the weeks and made that adjustment, yeah. uh, genius. And listen, if there's any O-linemen, listen, I know we got some subscribers who are high school O-linemen. This right here, clip it, put it on your phone and watch it because you need to know that. But It's something back that at- um, Coach Atkins taught me at Florida State. You know, it, it, he, he showed us the quick tape. He was just like, watch. You know, it was a lot, a lot of stuff he taught us. We were watching film and – it's kind of look set set punch set set punch set set punch. Okay, well, why would you give me your hands up for the second punch? You know, it's something that I just started applying to the game. You know, and you watch like you know when, I, when you saw a bunch of my one on ones and stuff like that. Like guys had to resort to bull rushing me because they can't chop, dip, rip, club anything because they were just hitting air. And once they hit air, then I then I would strike them. Mm. And, and then they're off balance usually or mm-hmm. out of out of position and, and you win. I love it, man. Love, love that whole segment there. But looking back to your career, man, we talked about trash talk and all that kind of stuff. Who is just the overall best defensive player you faced in your career? Um, just in the entirely of my career, though I didn't play him the game, he was my teammate. I have to say Joshua Kando. He plays for the Kansas City Chiefs now. You know, this guy was a five star out of IMG Academy. My first day of practice in spring at uh, Florida State, it was the first guy I ever went against. And it was like my life flashed before my eyes. It was just so sudden, <laughs> and it happened. And, like, not only was he the best guy that I ever played against, but he was also one of the most humble and coolest guys I've ever met, you know. It's kind of funny because he said that he was about 6'7", 270 defensive end, and he wants to be a pediatrician one day. You know, mm-hmm. he works with kids and stuff like that. And so I'm just like, not only are you, like, manhandling me on this field but you also want to like be a doctor to kids i'm like oh my gosh like you know (laughs) just got the all-around package on that one so that was your welcome to college moment he gave it to you that first day in practice it it was that second rep the first rep was a run so it was fine but you know it's blah boom boom boom, whatever but the second play was a pass play and so I'm like, okay, I have him, man. You know, I've, I've never seen this guy play before. So, you know, I thought, I thought okay, I'm about to go here and just, you know, go as hard as I can. You know, I took my set, and by the time I took my set and settled, he was already in my face. Mm. And I was like, oh, snap. Like, this is like, it, it happened a lot faster than I expected. Like, going from junior college to the, to the ACC, I, I was like, my welcome right there. You know, it kind of caught me off guard, <laughs> but it didn't stop there, you know. Eventually, at some point, I figured it out, but like, you know, just them, them first few reps against him, it was it was, it was right, you know. <laughs> but I love it. And then the last question here, man, I'm sure you got this question at the Legacy Bowl and down there 
um, at the other all-star game. But if an NFL franchise asks you what they're going to get if they draft you in April, what do you tell them? Um, you're going to get a guy on the rise. You know, you're going to get a smart football player. You know, I'm sitting here with an associate's, a bachelor's, and a master's degree. You know, you're getting a guy that has great feet work, you know, and just wants to work hard and just do his best, you know. I just – I'm just here to work and do best. And one thing I told Coach Simmons was I'm just here to do my job, you know, do what I'm told, you know. And you're going to get a guy that's going to be where he's supposed to be, doing what he's supposed to be doing, when he's supposed to be doing it, you know. And, you know, I'm just all about the business, all about the work, you know. Like I said, I love to talk football. You know, my favorite thing in one-on-ones was there's a guy that on the other side of the ball, you know, RJ Flowers, you know, unfortunately he didn't finish the season. But every time we did one-on-ones, once we got done, we'd come together, you know, we talked about what we saw and stuff like that. And so and that was just to help my game and stuff like that, you know. And, you know, also with what they'd get in me, you know, it's on top of that, you get a guy that not only knows his strengths but knows his weaknesses, you know, and I feel like that's my biggest strength. You know, I know what I'm not good at, but I use that to my advantage. You know, I have an understanding of not just – that, but also leverage points, you know, weaknesses where I can't get beat, you know, and stuff like that on certain plays. And just, all like I said, all around, just a guy that wants to work. Oh, man. A great answer on that one, too, man. I I hope to hear your name in April, and I know even if not, you'll be on an NFL roster somewhere, and I'm excited for that. But, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. I know I know the Rattler, the Rattler Nation is going to love this one. I know they support, they support the fam, you guys. Just – above and beyond of a lot of other fan bases, but let people know where they can follow you, man. Plug your social media, shout out to any NIL deals or anything you need to shout out, man. This time is yours. Okay. So uh, Twitter is at KVNG J will um, Instagram is J will 98. Um, you know, I, I don't have that many NIL deals now. You know, I work with Reathlete. you know, I've done, you know, some stuff with, um, body armor and stuff like that but you know other than that you know you know dm me you guys have questions anything hit me up you know i'm always around i also on tiktok at um kvng underscore j will you know catch tiktok (laughs) you know i play those when i get bored you know i used to do it a lot more but unfortunately i got a lot of work to do you know so you know just hit me up you know it's tough Hey, great TikToks too. Hilarious. I was doing some research, like getting ready for the episode. I was like, oh man, like we TikTok star too in the in the future. I mean, hilarious. And and I love how and I think a lot of athletes are really realizing that TikTok can be used as a as an avenue to gain support and, and things like that, man. So keep yeah. keep grinding that as well, man. But Jay, thank you so much, guys. Follow Jay on all social media. It will be on the thumbnail and in the bio below. Make sure to support these players as they make their journey to the 2022 NFL Draft. But for Jay, myself, and the Blue Bloods guys, we are out for right now.